telling you about Alfred Nobel. Um, you may remember this story that I shared with you back when I preached from the Sermon on the Mount. And it was storing up treasures in heaven. And storing up treasures in heaven is really giving to kingdom business, as I like to say. When we invest in kingdom business, when we give from the harvest store of treasures in heaven. Well, as many, many of you may remember um, this story, I, I just real quickly, Alfred Nobel, of course, is the inventor of what? Dynamite. That's right. He invented dynamite. And when he invented dynamite, he actually, like many inventors do, invented it probably with a good reason in mind, a good thing. But as it turns out with many things, it, it, it becomes, uh, sometimes people use it for evil, right? Um, for bad things. So what happened was in 1888, Alfred Nobel's brother died, and the newspapers got it mixed up. They printed that they thought they heard Alfred died, not his brother. And they printed, the headline said, the merchant of death is dead. And not only was he grief-stricken by the fact that his brother died, but basically that the world saw him as the merchant of death. And he didn't want to leave that legacy behind. So he made some changes, and eight years later when he died, he left an amazing amount of money at that time, $9 million, to basically go to um, improving humanity. We know him today as the Nobel Peace Process. So he basically started that um, over a hundred years ago. Now I'll bring up that story again because it's a good reminder of how we can store up treasures in heaven, how we can leave a legacy behind by investing in kingdom business, investing in missionaries like the Redfords um, as they translate the Bible into the language of the people that they love, have grown to love. But also uh, it's a reminder for us, uh, this, this story is um, because the word dynamite uh, that actually wasn't the original name of his invention. He actually called it um, Nobel's Blasting Powder. That was his original name, Nobel's Blasting Powder. But apparently that didn't sell so well or something. I don't know what the real reason was why he changed it. But he came up with a better name. He came up with Dynamite, not because he just pulled that name out of the air, he came up with that name because the word, he obviously knew Greek or he read his Bible like I do and saw that the New Testament is translated in Greek. Is, is a Greek we, we, we have Greek and then we translate it. And so when I look up words in the New Testament, they're often the Greek words. And the Greek word for power is dynamis. And that's how Alfred Nobel came up with the name dynamite. It comes from the Greek word dynamis. And in the New Testament, we have 120 different times that we see the word dynamis, power. And almost all of those are referring to the real meaning of the word is miraculous work. And Jesus is the one who has the power, because in the Gospels we see time and time again that he did a miraculous work. His power was shown by healing people, 
by walking on water, by doing all kinds of things. So I named this the dynamis of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you will see in the Gospels this power of Jesus, this dynamis of Jesus. Now, I asked you this year, by the way, I'm on page two of my notes now. How did I do? Pretty good there? No notes? All right, thank you. There are seven books that you are um, encouraged to read by me this year. The seven books, four of them are in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because I'm preaching through all the Gospels, harmonizing them together, going through the life of Jesus' ministry chronologically. And uh, three of the books, I think, will just, they're life-changing. They'll encourage you. They change my life in so many ways. The first one is Treasure Principle. The second one is called Not a Fan. And the third one is Heaven. Now, Treasure Principle is a short little read. And in fact, just to encourage you um, to give uh, the way I believe Jesus taught us to give, and that would be consistently and proportionally to our income. I believe we see that in the scripture. Um, if you, uh, many of you give consistently. So thankful for that. Some of you just don't want to have to to remember to write a check, so, so you give online. You can set it up on our giving platform. Um, when you go to our website, you can just click the button and set it up. You can even do it on your phone. Um, something Scott will never do, as he already attested to, right? Um, but you can do that. It's called recurring giving. And, and if you do that, if you give up consistently, I'd be happy to hand deliver you a copy of The Treasure Principle because it talks about storing up treasures in heaven. And I've read that book through more than once, and it's always encouraging to me to be reminded that when we when we give our money, we're giving to kingdom business, and it's a wonderful thing to do, and um, it feels good to do that. I, I enjoy doing that. The other two um, books are Not a Fan in Heaven, and I just, like, a, Not a Fan, all about following Jesus um, with your whole heart, I mean, with everything. And then Heaven will just open your eyes. Uh, many, many of us wonder, what's Heaven like? And Randy Alcorn talks about uh, I mean, he's, he's got an imagination based on scripture, and it's, it's impressive, and it's enjoyable to read. Um, so that, that is uh, the seven books. Now, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if that's all you do this year, read the Gospels, I'll be thankful, because you will see in the Gospels some amazing things. And I kind of wonder... Like, this is a legitimate question that you don't have to shout out the answer to, but if you could write down the answer to this question that I have um, on your connection card, or maybe just send me an email, I would be very curious to know what things capture your attention when you read the Gospels. When you read the life of Jesus, as written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what, what is it that fascinates you about it? Write that down. Send that to me. I would love to know that. What is that? And then maybe I can um, bring that into, you know, if there's something that, that you want me to teach on. That happens all the time, by the way. People um, send me an email. I'm just curious about something. And, and I get back to you and, and let you know this is what I think and this is what Scripture says. So, obviously, the miracles of Jesus will capture anyone's attention. You read the Bible. You share You read your Bible to your kids. Read the Gospels. Hey kids, look what Jesus did here, right? I mean, he did so many things. He healed people with disabilities. He healed people uh, with illnesses. 
Uh, he raised people from the dead. He paid people's taxes. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Uh, he fed thousands. He calmed storms. He walked on water. You just can't miss this when you read the Gospels because he did it with this power. That's how he did it, this power, this dynamis of Jesus. But if you're the type of person that has it all under control, if you're the type of person that's totally self-sufficient, then you won't need the dynamis of Jesus. You won't need a miracle. You can just do it on your own strength. But if that's the type of person you are, then you probably will hear Jesus' words in which he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You ever heard that one before? Yeah. yeah. If you don't need the power of Jesus in your life, if you don't need God to do miracles in your life, then you probably won't understand the kingdom of heaven. And lots of people live that way. Lots of people are just fine doing it on their own. Um, they might sing the song by Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel, but they don't really mean it. Sit in the back, Jesus, okay? And maybe on Sundays I'll let you sit in the front of me. Right? I mean, that's how some people live their lives. But I hope that you aren't that way. I hope that you discover that at the end of your rope, that's where God's rope begins. When you get to the end of your strength, that's when you begin to experience the dynamis of Jesus. The great power of Jesus. There are many storms in this life. Unexpected disasters. I mean, we're two days after one of them, right? It rained like we were in the tropics. And many people that I know, you know, couldn't get home. Their car is shot, right? It had to, uh, Bobby shared with me, it had to get, you know, towed away with a forklift. I mean, people's basements have flooded. It's been a storm. It's an unforeseeable circumstance. But that's going to happen in this life. It might happen physically, like literally with rain. It might happen with your finances. It might happen in your relationships. It might happen with your health, physically or mentally. But when these storms come into your life, there's this feeling that always overcomes everyone. And it's the feeling of fear. And a lot of times when you're afraid, you hit the panic button. Your anxiety goes through the roof. And you don't know what to do. And you think to yourself, how am I ever going to get through this storm? You ever been there? Yeah. How am I going to get through this? Well, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do it alone. You can try to do it on your own, but you don't have to. You can actually tap into the dynamis of Jesus. Because the power of Jesus is still working in the world today. Do you believe that? I do. I believe He is still working. In fact, I believe sometimes all we need to do is ask. As the Scripture says from the words of Jesus, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Sometimes that's the big difference. That can make all the difference in your life, is if you just ask Jesus for help. I pray that you'll do that. I pray that you'll just ask Him help. We're going to see um, in this message four miraculous works of Jesus. Four amazing things that he did. And it's in, I'm going to go with Mark. Uh, it, it shows up in Matthew, it shows up in Luke, but I'm going to go into Mark chapter 4 and start in verse 35. 
I almost called the title of this A Day in the Life of Jesus. And I say that because this literally, all these things that are about to happen, pretty much happen within a 24-hour period. I mean, literally, this is, this is like a normal day for Jesus. I know our lives are busy, right? And I've been convicted by this lately. My life is just too chaotic and hectic and bouncing from one thing to the next. And I'm just trying to find a balance. Anybody who need a little work-life balance, right? And focus on the things that really matter. I mean, I have a to-do list, okay? That goes from the ceiling to the floor. But I was challenged that that's my list. What if God's list just has two things on it? What's more important? So we have crazy things going on in our life. Jesus had a lot going on. But he always took care of God's list, didn't he? And here we see in verse 35, this first situation that he's about to come up to. He's with his disciples. And this actually happens right at the uh, conclusion of last week's sermon. Last week's sermon, right, was the Sermon by the Sea. Jesus talked about the seven parables. Okay, so that's the Sermon by the Sea. And literally, I mean, Mark says here is that right after that, they got on the boat. Verse 35, on that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So they left that crowd. They took with them the boat just as he was. There were other boats that were with him. Basically, if you had a boat, you were going, because it's Jesus. He's popular, he's famous at this point in time. And a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I just love that. There's this crazy storm going on, and Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. That's correct, right? Stern is the back of the boat. All you voters, yeah. Okay. And they woke him and said, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" That's the disciples' response. Now, who's driving the boat? The disciples. And as many of you know, these disciples, at least four of them, were professional fishermen. They were in the boat every day. A storm was not new to them. They had survived storms before. Obviously, they're here. What's so different about this storm? Something. They didn't think they could make it on their own. They thought they were going to die. They're like hitting the panic button. Wake up, Jesus. Tell them it's over. Sorry, we did our best. Ship's going down. So, I love this about the Gospels. I love this about our, the disciples. Do you not see yourself in the disciples right here? I mean, they are panicking because they haven't really grown up spiritually. They haven't matured in their faith. And they're waking up Jesus. Not what they should have probably done is, okay, guys, this is getting really bad. Well, let's go talk to Jesus and see what he wants to do. And wake him up gently. <laughs> Jesus. It's pretty stormy out right now. What do you want us to do? No, it's not what they did. I mean, they were in panic mode. Wake up! Wake up! Jesus! We're dying! We're going to die! So, Jesus wakes up. Verse 39. 
He rebukes the wind and says to the sea, just like we sang, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, don't think that Jesus just went, and the water was calm. I think a lot of times we think those miracles happen like that. But I, 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 I sense from what I, when I read this, especially with the word that's used here, that it's more of a gradual. Certainly not in such a way that we wouldn't think that Jesus did it, but it's a gradual. It sees. The word actually means to grow weary, to relax. Now, I am also a person who likes to be on the water and go fishing. And so I've been on the water with some rough waves, some big winds, and it's scary. But then there's times where all of a sudden the wind just dies down and it's calm. And you know, it, I can't help but think about this situation here. Like this is what God can do. Jesus did it quickly. I mean, he did it, I think, quicker than I would normally see in nature. And the disciples were very thankful. And then Jesus says to them, verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this guy? Even the wind and the sea obey. I mean, what is it that can help you in the unexpected storms of your life? It's the dynamis of Jesus. It's this power that Jesus has. It can make all the difference. Whether you have some legal troubles going on in your life, whether you have lost your job, your home, your car breaks down, your AC quits. That one's just for Chrissy since her AC quit recently. <laughs> Whatever it is, what are you going to do when you need this Miracle. The answer is, ask Jesus for help. Just call on Jesus. And don't worry, he's not going to be sleeping. He knows what's going on. He's aware of your situation. The calms, he can calm the storms. The next situation happens. This one is wild. We're in chapter 5, Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. They get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're in this country of the Gerasenes, the Decapolis. And Jesus steps out of the boat, and immediately he's met by a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. Unclean is dirty, spirit, the devil, so I call him the dirty devil. Alright? He's met by this unclean spirit, this dirty devil, and he lived among the tombs. No one could bind this demon-possessed man anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. This man had incredible strength. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Now, you're going to find out in verse 15, that this man, after he was healed, put clothes on. So, he's not with clothes when he approaches Jesus. And I just want you to step into the sandals of the disciples for a minute. Okay? Just, just get a feeling for what they were experiencing. They had just been through this storm 
where you know their nerves are shot. You know how it is when you get into a stressful situation, you come out of that stressful situation, you, the adrenaline was flowing and now it's not, and you're just exhausted. And the boat hits the shore. And when it hits the shore, all these guys are thinking is, I just want to go lay down. I just, I just need to get up on shore and just close my eyes for a little bit and rest. But what does it say? As soon as they get out of the boat, there comes this guy running at them. And this isn't just any guy. This is a really strong, huge guy. And he's running at them and he's bleeding and he's screaming and he's naked. Alright? Because he's demon-possessed. I don't know what scares you in this world, but this would scare the bleep out of a lot of people. Am I right? This is what the disciples are seeing. And they're like, Jesus, let's go. We gotta go. Get back in the boat. And Jesus holds his ground. And this man comes up to him. And he's not quiet. It says verse 7. Crying out with a loud voice, he says... What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I assure you by God, do not torment me. That's what this guy says. But it's really not the guy saying it. It's the demons that are possessing it, that are saying this. A little backstory. Let me take you to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Talk to us about the superiority of Jesus over the angels. This may be very enlightening for many of you who are interested in the spirit world, if you will. Verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The Old Testament, the writer's referring to. But in these last days, the New Testament, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom, Jesus, he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. When you look at Jesus in the New Testament, you are looking at God. What does God look like? What does he, how does he act? What does he do? Look at Jesus. That's the beauty of being a Christian. You can know God on a way different level than anyone else can. Because we see Jesus as God. Where Muslims don't. Right? Those in Judaism do not. Buddhists don't. We do. We see Jesus the way we should. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his dynas. That word again, the power. And after making purification for sins, that's our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this is the part that you need to hear. He became as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, every time you see an angel in Scripture, when it shows up on earth, people freak out. Because the angel always says, Don't be afraid. That's how you know people are freaking out. Don't be afraid. You saw an angel? Alright, I don't know what you picture when you picture seeing an angel. Okay, but it would alarm you. Alright? 
and Jesus is superior. In fact, verse 6 will tell you, let all God's angels worship Jesus. That didn't always happen. At some previous point in time, there was a very powerful angel that rebelled. His name is Lucifer. He became prideful. And he wanted the other angels to worship himself. And so he was able to fool one-third of the angels to worship him. Because of this, because he is created by God, so many times I think people think that there's God and there's the devil and they're like battling it out. No, God created the devil. Right? He's way more powerful than the devil. He, the devil submits to God. So God bans them from the heaven. Some of the angels were put in prison. The rest were given freedom to roam this earth. Lucifer we call Satan. Sometimes we call him the devil. He was given freedom to roam. All the other fallen angels we call demons. That's what demons are. Former angels. They have one purpose on this earth. Steal, kill, destroy. That's their purpose. That's what they do. Now in verse 8 and 9, Jesus has a conversation with this demon, these demons. He says to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit, you dirty devils. But then Jesus asks them, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. Now, if you don't look into that, you might think that's a weird name for a name or a demon. But really what it means is a legion was actually an army of about 6,000 soldiers. So the reality here is, is that there's thousands of demons possessing this one man. That's why he was so scared, I think. Verse 10, look at how these thousands of demons respond to Jesus. What do they say? They call him Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High God. Because they know the truth about Jesus. They've always known the truth. Ever since they were created, they've known the truth. And the demons, verse 10, beg Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now Luke writes a different word. He says, the abyss. Please don't send us to the abyss. If you know Revelation, you know what happens in the end. God will send the evil one and all the demons into the great abyss, abyss never to come out. Their final punishment. And the demons at this point, I think, are just begging Jesus for more time. They thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time where we're going to the abyss. Verse 11. A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him. You see who's in charge here? They begged Jesus. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave him permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank and all the people who love bacon said, oh no. 
and they drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came out to see what's going on. Right? Now many wonder, why did Jesus allow this demon to go into pigs? And if you know anything about Jewish law, you know that the pig is not kosher, right? It's not part of their diet. So a lot of people would say, well, Jesus is Jewish, and he was, you know, following Jewish law. That's not it at all. He's not divisive. He didn't come to divide Jews and Gentiles. That's not it. Four truths I want you to see from the fact that Jesus cast these demons into the pigs. Four truths. Number one, the spiritual realm is real. There really is a kingdom of heaven. There really are angels and demons. Some people don't want to believe it, but I'm telling you it's true. People back in that day were called Sadducees. They didn't believe in the spirit world. They were the liberals of the day. They were sad, you see? <laughs> that one never gets old. <laughs> Secondly, the demons submit to Jesus. He's the son of the Most High God. So if you're a Christian, you're picking the winning side. Good job. You're, you're going to win in the end. It may not always feel like it, but you're going to win. When you're a Christian. Number three. Now is still not the time to remove all evil. I know we would like that to happen. I know they wanted Jesus to heal everybody. And get rid of all the demons back then. But Jesus didn't do that. Because it wasn't the time. What was the time? To preach the gospel. Jesus came to share the good news of what happens when you believe in him. Guess what? We're still in that time. That's our job. We don't try to get rid of all evil. In fact, I think it's James who says we flee from it. But we need to preach the gospel. That's the plan. Fourthly, Jesus reveals by putting the demons into the pigs the divided hearts of those people. You remember last week, the divided heart is a result of? It's a result of caring about material things, money, the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. You're going to find out here that they love money. They, that, those pigs were their livelihood. And they didn't want to serve God. They wanted to serve money. Verse 15, the town came out. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion of angels sitting there. He was now clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who seen it described to them what happened. Told them the whole story again. Because you know how when something's like crazy, unbelievable, like people want to hear the story over and over again? Okay, I'll tell you one more time. This is what happened. They still can't believe it. But what did they do as a result of hearing the story, the truth? They begged Jesus to leave. What a tragedy. They wanted Jesus out. Think about it. He could have healed all their people. He could have taught them about the kingdom of heaven. But they pushed him away. Why? Because they cared more about money. Because they weren't, didn't want to risk. Well, if he comes in here, he might kill our goats. I don't know. That's what they were thinking. But not all wanted Jesus to go away. In fact, verse 18, as he was getting to the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged that he might go with them. But Jesus didn't permit him to do that. He said, go home with your friends, to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how 
he has had mercy on you. And he did go away, and he proclaimed in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled at his story. I think he became the Billy Graham of the Decapolis. He probably had crusades telling his story and the story of Christ. And if God can use that guy, he can certainly use any of us. Isn't that right? That's right. You're never too broken or messed up for God to use you. We finish off with two more scenarios. Do this quickly here. Verse 21, Jesus crossed back over. Um, the boat ride, by the way, is about, Sea of Galilee is about six miles wide in some places. So I have a 70 horsepower motor in my boat. I get there in about 20 minutes. But, you know, these guys are sailing and rowing a little. So it's going to take them a little bit longer. But they get back to the other side. And what's going on as soon as they get to the other side? A great crowd gathers about him as he was by the sea. If there was an app back then to track Jesus' movements, it'd be the most downloaded. They just wanted to know where he was. They followed him everywhere he went. As soon as he got off the water, there they were. They came, one, of the, one who came out of the, um, to see him was the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and he saw Jesus fell at his feet, implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Lovely word there. But it means pushed in on him. Like this wasn't a pleasant walk. This was you walking and people just pushing in on you because it's so crowded. And from behind, someone kind of was able to sneak up there and, and touch Jesus. Verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and she spent all she had and she was no better, but rather she grew worse. This woman had been to every OBGYN in Perea, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. She spent every denarius she had on doctors, and for 12 years she had no relief. She suffered for a very long time. Perhaps you can relate. Maybe you have a medical condition that no doctor has found a cure and no medicine has worked. Let's see what this woman does. She heard the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd. She touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch his garment, I will be made well. What faith. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power, dynamis, had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? This, this power of Jesus immediately healed this woman. She felt it. Jesus felt it. In fact, in Acts 10.38, Luke tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. You can't miss the power of Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus asked, who, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Everybody is. Verse 31. You see the crowd pressing around you? 
who touched me? Everyone is. But he looked around to see who had done it. Specifically, he wanted to see the woman. The one. The woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I want to remind you once again what faith does. Her faith did not heal her. It does not have power. Faith moves you to the one who has the power to heal. That's how it works. Faith moves you to the one who has all the power. It was the power of Jesus that healed this woman. So if you have a health problem, ask Jesus for help. If something is going on in your life that there's just no solution for, ask Jesus for help. Have the faith. Move into his presence. And he might heal you that very moment. He might heal you later on. But one thing is for sure we learn is that he will forgive you of your sins. He will spiritually heal you, which is more important than anything else. Verse 35, he was still speaking. There came the ruler's house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any further. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler, Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he entered, and he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Apparently when you rise from the dead, you're hungry. <laughs> give her a happy meal or something. She's hungry. Jesus has the power to bring new life. Even if everyone laughs, Jesus has the power. Don't be afraid. Believe. Put your faith in him. Some will think that the dynamis of Jesus stopped because Jesus is no longer with us. But if you know the scripture, you know it's not true. Because Jesus said he would not leave us alone. He said that he would give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, because you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you've trusted in him, then you have the power living in you. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now I understand you're still going to try to do things on your own, with your own strength, with your own smarts. And if you do that, you're probably going to fail. You're probably going to get frustrated, and you're probably going to wonder, what do I do now? Well, remember this teaching. Remember these examples. And just ask Jesus. Have faith. The dynamis of Jesus. 
As a pastor, I often hear people's stories. Things that are going on in their life that come to me in confidence. And I would never betray that confidence. I, I hear their story. And so many times when people are willing to finally share their story, so many times they, they, they think, oh man, what I'm about to tell you, you've never heard anything like it before. I got news for you. Yeah, or at least Jesus has. Because see, the devil wants you to think that you're all alone. He wants you to think that your story is like no other. Your sin, nobody else does. Not true. Not true at all. So when you share your story, there's a lot of times when I hear someone's story, confession, whatever it might be, I think to myself, man, I want to help. Because that's me. Like, I want to help. I'm sure you're like that too. But then I realize, yeah, there's probably not much I can do. In fact, there's nothing I can do. But I know the one who can. And I feel like a lot of times that's all I can do is pray. And prayer. And ask the one who can do something. And so I want you to think about that. Let that permeate your mind that when you feel like you're at the end of your strength, when you're down and out, when you just hit the rock bottom, and maybe you don't even get that far, maybe you, 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 you realize, I need to do something, I need to make a change. Know the one who can do it. Jesus has the power to make the difference in your life if you trust in Him. So let that be your prayer.